0: Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Well, here in the suburbs of Philly, we have tons and tons of snow. And I'm going to say ice, too. I cannot wait to see what is going to be out there tomorrow. Yes, I said tomorrow because I think it's going to keep snowing. Anyhow, it makes me smile. I don't like the ice so much, but I do love the snow. What about you? Don't tell me you're in California or Florida and you're sitting on the beach. Eh, That's all good. I love change. I love changes in seasons. Every day I think of a different word to focus on just to change things up. And this week I've been thinking of the three C's. Courage, compassion, and confidence. And my next guest exudes that. I enjoyed our conversation so much. His book, Art of Routine, doesn't come out to May, but you can pre-order it on Amazon and it is going to kick butt. Every time I think, you know, I got this down. I've written books on train your head and your body will follow and 30 day resets. And then somebody comes along like on hell and you think, what the heck? You learn so many new things. He was such, he's such a cool guy. And also just listening to his journey about working in the ER and the way he describes the doctors and their compassion for others. I could have listened to his stories forever. When they describe him as a philosopher and a physician and an author, uh, they got it right, man. This guy is the whole package and you can just you can just feel his sincerity coming through enjoy and as always share it really helps when you rate it and you reach out to others and tell them all about us and check us out on patreon to support the cause i love that you guys have been here through thick and thin and willing to highlight all the positive and powerful people in the world until next time about my next guest. Yes, I love all my guests, but anyone who's been following me, you know, this subject fascinates me. It just fascinates me. And especially with everything going on with quarantine and the new year's resolutions, it's a perfect time for this guest. So let me tell you about Dr. Angel. I hope I get it right. Angel Iscovich, which we're going to refer to him at times to Dr. I, which is a lot better for me. And I'm sure most people. He has been referred to as a philosopher who happened to be trained in medicine, from philosophy to psychiatry to emergency medicine, and from the emergency room to the boardroom. Fascinating. As a CEO, he exercised leadership, organizational development, strategic planning, business strategy, and leadership. Thank you so much for being here, Doctor. How are you?
1: Good. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Uh, this Topic it is so amazing to me. I wished you were around when I wrote my book because I would have loved to interview you about Train your head and body will Fall. This this fascinates me. When I was reading all about the art of routine, the book you that's coming. I know it's not coming out in May, but it has to do a lot with your philosophy and routineology. I, I can't believe that this book came to me right when it did, because I was searching for stuff, Doc, with some of my clients. But before we get even into any of that, I want to know your word. If you were going to think of one word that best describes the past 30 days for you, good, bad, or ugly, what would it be?
1: It has to be routine during this <laughs> pandemic.
0: <laughs> Why did I not know you were going to say that?
1: Well, you know, you know, we've been definitely during this, this time, you know, and where I speak about environmental stability and the importance of doing things regularly, whatever it is that you want to do, I must say that those evening dog walks sure have been very consistent and very regular and, and seem to kind of stabilize us in this, in this very kind of disruptive time. So I, routine's the word.
0: All right. So have you always been like that? Have you always been very structured and routine oriented?
1: No, I, I can't say that I always have been, but I think that um, in kind of my history and, you know, coming really as an immigrant from, you know, Argentina and kind of having, and from immigrants that are uh, were uh, Auschwitz and Holocaust survivors, you start to kind of have a certain certain note to how do you survive? How do you, how do you survive? And I think, uh, consequently organizing, being structured, learning a little bit about the rhythm, uh, that happens in our lives. Some of these mm-hmm. observations that I noted, and I think is, is, um, that I, I don't think I always was, but I think as I developed a little bit more of my interest in philosophy and then moved into medicine and yeah. kind of learned a little bit about the body and the world we live in, I think, uh, I think that's where I started to to have kind of a more natural in, natural my natural instincts came out related to organization and structure. So, all
0: right, so let's go back a little bit. When did you move here to the U.S.?
1: Well, you know, I I immigrated, and I know whether you immigrate legally or not is a big topic. It was legal, oh, okay. <laughs> and so illegally actually yeah. in 1960, I was only seven years old, and we we came to from Argentina. To really uh, make for a better life uh with about a hundred dollars and two uh valises that my parents had and a sponsor locally and uh, without oh. uh, the language uh english being the first language but rather for me spanish uh from your parents that were actually from europe and after the war ended up in argentina and um you know basically it's like the same immigrant story that we see today everywhere The 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 both parents having to work, somehow trying to integrate into um, the society, uh, learn the language. It's the same story today as it's ever been. So I've i kind of lived lived that story and, and and understand it.
0: So were they always pushing education?
1: I think I think that was always I think that was that was true. I think it was a way of integrating. Sometimes you know the saying was that um, that. You try to, at that time, there was a lot more wanting to be fully integrated, so to speak. And you they'd say about the immigrants, they were more American than the Americans. You know, you'd try to dress the right way. You try to uh, do all the things that uh, one does to uh, be integrated. And I think education and the push for education, which comes really from that era of the, you know, post-depression, post-war era where education is kind of a ticket to being able to have a good life, so I think I think education was pushed.
0: Why psychiatry though?
1: Well, you know, it was um, it was interesting when I when I was finishing medical school. I think I was having a, my own disruptive moment of what I wanted to do with medicine, what I was mm-hmm. interested in. At the time, I was interested in behavior, and I was interested also in neurology. So I um, went into a training program. At the time, it's a little different than it is today. It, that was a psychiatry related internship uh where I was exposed to actually the, at that time to emergency medicine and then started it a program in, in one of the Harvard programs in neurology which I applied to and I was mm. fascinated by the brain and why why it is that it works the way it was and remember putting together little puzzles of the little brain puzzles and the sort and little uh little models of that sort and so um it was complex and fascinating and it was Really, um, a lot of what neurology was about and psychiatry was about yeah. finding where, where was the problem and what's the solution, which, of course, is what most of medicine is about. But uh, that became my first interest. But I quickly uh, moved into emergency medicine. Um, I had kind uh-huh. of an interesting mentor. I guess I was a person that wanted immediate gratification because that's what happens in emergency medicine as opposed to other fields of medicine some you know you're there with your stethoscope and your white coat and yeah you see patients sometimes in in very severe and distressed environments which i think is built a little bit on my thinking of how do we deal with distressed environments and seeing the worst the worst of situations but you did something and um it quickly was resolved or quickly was admitted to the hospital and so there was an immediate sense of gratification i think that was maybe Uh, a part that overrode my 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 personality one that uh, related to media gratification in my work so i think uh, i was appealed to it and uh you know really got involved in the whole world of emergency medicine setting up emergency medical systems uh both where i live and um and have been involved for years, and not just the practice of emergency medicine, but then the management and the business of emergency medicine, and then even most recently, because I got to give a little shout out to Direct Relief, which is one of the great charities in the United States, humanitarian yeah, charities uh, that uh, that I was uh, just recently uh, the past board chair. So in my administrative world, so um, that's uh, that's kind of how how uh, how I started in in. Uh, from psychiatry to emergency medicine.
0: You know, you say immediate gratification, but every time I see what those people do, and I have friends that work in emergency medicine also, I just say big prayers for them. I think it takes a special, unique type of person to be able to handle that. I don't know what you did for stress release, but there had to be something.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, like any, any job, sometimes you, um, you, you don't realize uh, the stress. And after about 25 years after I had left the full practice of emergency medicine and went back to USC, LA County in a very, very difficult environment where I used to teach, I started to listen and hear, smell, have smells and noises that I never had sensed when I was practicing before. And here I'd come back just a year. Um, mm-hmm. And what I noticed is that in order to deal with that stress, we, we actually have blinders on. Um, And I realized when I came back uh, to that setting that you're really around a lot of misery, so to speak. And that if you uh, let yourself, you could not do your work if you heard every scream and every yell and the noise level and the things that are happening in emergency departments. And that I think people in, in emergency work, and of course, we're having a lot of that happening in pandemics have to really focus. They put their blinders on to the technical and clinical aspects of their work, and kind of shut out, in order wow. to be able to function. A certain aspect of um, that you need um, some of that to protect your emotional side, and I think it's only when those blinders come off that you learn that. So, it's um, it's very it is very very difficult, and it does take a toll. And of course, we've been seeing that in. Now, in in many of the emergency departments that I I still contact and the hospitals that I've been on boards with um, about the stress that's happening right now because of the long hours, because of the shortages. Um, And so uh, this is why we do focus on the first responders and those in the front line um, to try to really do everything we can to help.
0: Yeah. You know, I have a question from a young lady. She's a nurse. We always have fake names. so We'll call her Sally and she was getting her master's degree in emergency medicine, but dealing with who gets taken care of first. So she wanted me to ask you, in your opinion, do you think there's a difference between what you look like and who you are and how much money you have as far as who they take in first to get served in the ER?
1: You know, many of but she's the from pri- the philadelphia area just right i understand honesty. well so so many of the private hospitals even here on the west coast have mm-hmm. developed you know vip lists for people who've given large donations in the sort right and mm-hmm. sometimes even i mean this is really inside baseball right <laughs> so so they they, <laughs> they 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 there might be a little tag that if you were someone special but you know really i find that uh the emergency physicians, the nurses, the clerks, um, really try to treat everyone equally and try to give everyone um, their fair share. And Ooh, you so see, nice sometimes yeah. you you see sometimes when people are trying to push, or in any in any professions, you know, uh, yes. you know, saying that uh, you know, well, you know who I am, right? Or do you know right. who I am? <laughs> and you know, it's so interesting because just now. I was asked as I often am doing some consultative work and 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 being able to connect in healthcare across the world above and beyond what i'm doing in, in with my book at behavior yeah is it is that I just had a situation where one of the wealthiest men and an incredible philanthropist who's developed health care in Papua New Guinea had no special um treatment even though it was even his own hospital for specialized equipment he was wow. in that he was in that line you know mm. so uh, i think uh, we have a certain level of you know mor- morality but you know this is kind of pushing us to the brink in regard to the level of critical of care that we give to patients that have been in COVID. in areas like now like in los angeles which are nearby where where i am decisions are have to be made in triage um as we've done us sometimes at disaster levels about who has the best chance of surviving if we only have so many resources to give them something so there are systems set up and uh, that's often called rationing of care where it says yeah, well yeah you know your your survivability is not as good as this person's because of your age or otherwise and this gets into some very deep and um, deep and philosophical arguments I used to at one point I taught a little bit of you know philosophy of ethics and uh yeah yeah. so the some of this is some of this is having to go on but uh I believe having been in the that part of the profession uh to Sally that uh I am always uh heartened by the morality and the stick to itness that uh the the emergency care workers have in treating everyone, uh, whether you're homeless or whether you're a billionaire.
0: Wow. That's so nice to hear. Yeah, that's so nice to hear. So were you ever involved in those decisions? I can't even imagine having to choose who to take first. I mean, that would just be so tough.
1: Well, yeah, I, you know, personally, as you you look, if I look back at my emergency career and my EMS career, yes, I mean, there are, uh, there have been situations where, uh, I could remember one of a major bicycle accident that occurred with one of the great uh, and well-known uh, bicyclists, and uh, that bicyclist was some less injured than some of the other lesser-known bicyclists and those that were on on this route hit by a a drunk driver oh. uh, off the road. Well, bicycling not a not an uncommon uh, piece, and again, this isn't very pleasant pleasant discussion necessarily, but but the the answer to that is yes i I've, I've been involved in that and we stick to our protocol and stick to who's who's the most critical and that particular person who wasn't most critical didn't get in front of the line didn't yeah. get the helicopter transport didn't yeah. came back by you know ground ambulance so to speak you know not the fastest methodology so uh, yeah we i've been in those decisions and and i've been in you know many difficult decisions from you know patients who are now uh, don't have much function of their brain and is there going to be the situation to try to harvest yeah. their lungs yeah. and hearts for the donors for the better of others you know so there's a lot of these kind of decisions that that, that one is confronted with it in these kind of emergency uh, situations
0: and you're right we don't think about them until you know, you're know you involved in it. But I have to ask you, what do you do now to decompress? Like, do you meditate? Do you work out? Do you write? Like, how do you just get rid of all that stuff?
1: Well, you know, for, for me, you know, my, my journey is I've kind of left the corporate, public corporate world has been uh, to to focus on writing and on, on thinking and, mm-hmm. and the sort. And also, uh, especially in this pandemic time to develop a good routine, both in the areas of exercise, you know, the areas of, of diet, and you know, I, I, when I speak a little bit about routine, people ask, you know, what what can I do? My life seems to be somewhat disrupted. Today I've uh, lost my job. I'm stuck in my home. Um, how do I get? How do I get going? But so me for me personally, one of the things that. Um, um, Knowing a little bit, I think what you talk about about your book, uh, that uh, just doing something regularly and routinely, whatever it might be, which is the essence of what I write about, is is, yeah. is maybe more important than the content of what you do, and uh, and just being able to complete a task right and do it regularly kind of mm. seems to sync up with how our bodies work and how our our biology works in a sort. And one of those um, where meditation. Can be comp- can be complex uh, because there requires uh, a, a form of how you were going to do it what that process is going to be yeah. one of the things that I, I advise and I do myself because you got to you know you're gonna talk the talk you got to walk the walk right uh, yes, is, is right. a simple one which which I kind of like affirmations and uh, what I do is I I put on my iPhone or my uh, my uh, smartphone you uh, uh, um, notification every morning on my calendar, depending when I'm usually waking up, but usually early in the morning, six or so, that says daily affirmation. And it comes on my phone and on my watch, and it asks me to do some daily affirmation of some sort. And um, it's interesting because historically, these things, these kinds of affirmations go back even back in rituals to like Morning prayers or nighttime yeah. prayers before you yeah. sleep and the sort. And this has a lot to do with how, how, you know, our, our physiology works and how we we can rest and accomplish something. So I try to have a I you know, and I recommend in a because it's a simpler way to do it is to just give yourself a daily affirmation. It could be variable every day, like today's going to be a great day. Today I'm going to, uh, or it could be like Stuart Smalley's, you know, you know, which is like. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, yeah, people yeah. like me. You know, you remember <laughs> yeah, that old yeah. affirmation. You know, that was from, from an old movie. So, some some of your listeners might or might not remember that, but they but, will. Um, uh, but but uh, so I like the concept of uh, of morning affirmations to get to begin the morning as part of what one does regularly in a routine and gives a certain sense of meaning and the you know, so
0: you're making my heart sing if you. I should send you some of my other podcasts. This is something I've been slammed on. So I think it's great when people meditate. I think there's people that it really benefits, but it's not one size fits all. I mean, Some people get really stressed out. I can't meditate. I can't meditate. So my big thing is I believe, like I do, I call them power statements. You call them affirmations. I have words. I, I Every day I write one, I say one, I send one. But there was a woman, have you ever heard of Louise Hayes?
1: I don't think I have.
0: She, Hay House Publishing, amazing woman. For years and years ago, um, she was famous for these affirmations and wrote books and books and books on them. But other people say, well, they don't really have any meaning. There's no emotion to it. So I would love to get your opinion on that because they're like, well, it really is, which I get. You, if you're just saying it and it's not really an emotion you're feeling it's not going to have any impact versus we'll fake it till you make it so what do you think of that
1: uh, I don't I don't know that having uh, emotion is is uh, such a, a requisite or you know prerequisite to an affirmation an affirmation can just simply be what you're going to do today what you plan to accomplish um, you know that we have a certain part of Part of my, my thinking and my insight into our human nature about trying to stabilize our environments and do things in a regular way is that um, our bodies are set up in such a way if you look at the chronobiology, the circadian rhythms, what's happening in the morning, let's say, when you're going to do an affirmation, what's happening to your blood pressure, your cortisol, there's a, there's a sense of what happens to your body throughout the whole day. And um, I'm not as focused on the aspects of the emotion as I am to doing whatever you decide your content would be, whether it's an affirmation, whether it's drinking water, whether it's looking at your emails, whether it's making your bed in the morning, whether it's that exercise that you do, it's not the content that I'm, what I believe we're not focusing enough is the regularity, the rhythm of the routine, and how it coordinates with what our, physiology and what our body does you know there's a reason at three o'clock in the in the in the afternoon approximately three o'clock that uh the english have tea and the spanish go to sleep and the french and italians uh, used to have sex you know uh, and the Americans know still drink coffee. well that well and we drink we go to starbucks right or wherever yeah, we yeah. go and so this is all a bit of the circadian physiology and what happens to your cortisol levels, your glucose at that time, once you begin to understand that there are better times to exercise better times when your abilities to to think for example, such as very technical work, which I recommend is when i when I take these insights into the business realm as I was doing a, a call for recruiters a little while ago somebody asked me how to how to i I'm, I'm just not efficient and So it's about what you do, when you do, in general. People have their own variation, but doing technical types of things are great to do in the morning. The best times to exercise, at least in general, and for most people, are in the morning or just before dinner. These are when there's a lot of physiology going on that allows you to be more optimal, more efficient, and more able to do it at that time than, let's say, at 3 o'clock. And uh, I just remember, you know, so... And at 3 o'clock, what always killed me is that these someone would try to have technical meetings and reports and get together and have people try to pay attention at three o'clock when what they need is to sleep have some form of nourishment you know or or, or arguably sex you know in fact some companies realize these circadian rhythms and they've learned to basically say we're, we're stopping work at about three o'clock and we're going to pick it back up at seven but you're going to be going now especially in this pandemic world you're going to be working again at seven o'clock remotely you know huh. uh, after dinner so there's a lot of uh, changes so my my point is is that that there's a there's a physiology a way that we're wired and a way that we try to find stability which in our world of course gets disrupted and do routines mm-hmm. and routines are just the time that you do and it's it's not the content the content is your content you know people tell me god i'm bored with that. I said, well, fine, then change what you're doing. But just whatever it is you do, do it regularly. And then if you wanna change this time, then you change it. So um, I'm sorry that I deviated maybe a little bit from the no, concept, of emotion, uh, concept of emotion, constant motion, but I don't think it's about emotion. I think it's about the ability to do something regularly, which is what gives you a reduction really in your stress, coordinates really with how we're wired and gives you meaning and purpose just by accomplishing that task regularly.
0: Okay, so I have so many questions right now, but we're gonna start with the biggest one. So, as far as you say the content, I get that. It's your content. If it's boring, change it up. But aren't there some things that serve you well and don't serve you well? So, you know, if it serves you well, keep doing it. Like people will say, you know, I always, I got in a habit of drinking, Three glasses of wine a night. I used to drink one, but I'm bored, well, and yeah, now they are can... having a rough time getting out of it.
1: Right, right, right. Well, so there are some things, of course, that are you know physiologically addictive, right? You know, to our body, and and of course, um, so we can develop bad habits. You know, and habits are more very incredibly wired aspects that can have even physiological consequences, um, such as drinking alcohol. Uh, Which if you stop drinking alcohol, you start now feel very good because you begin to uh, Withdraw and your your body reacts to physiology. So yes, there are bad things that you can do in content people ask me I said well, you're not saying I can do any diet. I want are you recommending that? I just eat beef jerky all the time, you know, (laughs) is that is that really a healthy healthy diet? You're recommending or that, you know um, Or or that I eat Twinkies every day. I said no, no, of course as a physician i speak a little bit to this about the book but you know the eskimos living in an environment that they live this is the point about adaptability how adaptable we are as humans and how depending on the environment that we're in and which today's times we have so much content pelting us you know do the paleo diet do the south beach diet do the keto diet do yoga do do all of these different aspects of content that we keep moving about because we're focusing on the content instead of the regularity of what we do. You know, humans gotcha. going from the jungles to the to the, to the to the savannas and migrating always to try to survive. That's why the Eskimos had only a certain staple of foods. It's not like how we live today with all this information and all this access to different types of food. And the and their bodies adapted to that the kind of food they ate. Something we couldn't do with the amount of blubber that comes out of whales, for example, into the Eskimo mm-hmm. liver. Okay, yeah, that where yeah. we couldn't do that. So we're extremely adaptable. So no, we know there are things that can be uh, bad for you, right? Uh, yeah. Things that that any ec- excess of things can be bad. But my focus is saying that. We're focusing too much on those things, and we need to focus more on our behavior and our ability to do things in a more regular way, in a in a rhythm way, in a tempo way, in a routine, which is about yeah. time. It's not yeah. about what you do; it's about time, and that's why I give the analogy uh, time bubble. You know, we gave this analogy that the bubble, because it's not just about routine; it's about doing it in a stable environment, and that's how this started, um, uh, Sandy, for me. I was studying um, elderly patients and how we were gonna care for them in the emergency department about 15 years ago. And I kind of stumbled onto getting interest in people that were over a hundred years old, what uh, were known as wow. centenarians or centagenarians. And when I studied them, what I noticed and I interviewed some, and I looked at some, you know, some science and physiology and behavior, I noticed that there were two things. Um, and one was that they, they had a stable environment around them both physically and and emotionally you know as people and the support and that they did things regularly in a routine but what they did varied yeah. one you know, always drank alcohol um and had their scotch at four at, you know 4 p.m some yeah. had yeah. a diet where they had to have their dr pepper no matter what you know <laughs> at three in the yes. afternoon and you might not call it healthy. but what what was most curious was those two points a stable environment and doing things in a timely and regular manner wow. over and over again. And that started, got me thinking to people who are high performers, okay? Whether it's athletes or musicians or people like yourself, okay? Um, and what did or that organization and structure in that environment do for them? And it got me to thinking of care of the young and how we care for our young and how important. Um, that regularity is, let alone for also for our pets and animals, and then also for our businesses, and that's where the concepts um, really, really began for me. All
0: right, I want to read this, if you don't mind, this little quote you have on Amazon about your book, because then I have questions that are going to go for it. Does that sound good? Sure.
1: Okay, sure. I think I think those are the editor. Those are the editor's words, not just mine. But I'll, all right. I'll so, we'll, <laughs> I want, that's
0: good. We'll see if you believe it says conventional wisdom suggests that the best way to navigate our noisy new world is to accept change, open up to novelty, go with the flow, live in the moment, embrace the relentless. I'm pelting, which we talked about, of content minute by minute. But routine experts which is you doc, are here to say that's a bad idea. Humans don't just benefit from structure, they require it. Okay, so can it be both, and I'm going to give you an example of me. People think I'm all just live by the seat of my pants, do whatever at the last minute, go with the flow, you never know what she's going to do next. but. I have a lot of structure. Like I get up in the morning, I make my coffee, I write in my journal, I do this. I have that. I mean, there is a lot of structure that right. I have in mm-hmm. there. But I'm also able to. Somebody calls me up at the last minute and says, "Hey, you want to go for pizza in New York City?" And it's two hours away. I'm like, "Yeah, let's do it." So mm-hmm. that's where that maybe there could be. A, that's go with the flow, live in the moment, and have a lot of structure
1: well surely because i think this is just an insight to one aspect of our nature another aspect of our nature is in order and i think this comes from you can see it in other species having to be curious having to have to have a a a form of change find some other some other and so within within certain limits okay and Mm -hmm. i think that's just part of of what we do so that sense of spontaneity is um is almost a way of, of, of allowing us to help us survive, find net find the next next uh oasis of water, okay? Finding the next place where where we may have to migrate to, you know, because we were very migratory, um, and still are really, when you look at what's happening with refugee crisis war, pestilence, like like the pandemics that occur. So that those aspects of a specific nature where you say, God, I'm a little bored or i need a little something different are yeah. are actually also part of part of our nature but it's an issue of it's an issue of balance where right now we're being pelted with so much information that we can't get into any sense of rhythm
0: you know gotcha you know, th- you know
1: and and and, th- and 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 so we live in a very um i mean think about the world as we perceive it and how we're born and I mean, you know, the sun rises every day and goes down, right? And we see the moon at different phases. Our hearts beat very regularly. They're not irregular. They're not just jumping off and saying, "Hey, I'm going to have yeah. a little bit of atrial fibrillation right now," you know, because <laughs> I want to go get a what I want to go get a pizza, right? Yeah. And yeah. Our, our, our our and we feel badly when our bowel movements aren't moving just quite the right way. And I'm not waking up or getting sleep at the right time. So. Our whole world is related to this sense of equilibrium, to homeostasis, okay? Yeah. Um, and so there is room for that curiosity, for that exploration, for that for that change uh, that occurs. Um, but we still have to look at this around the confines of how we're wired and the world that, as we understand it, we live in. So I don't know if that makes sense to you. but that's, No, it does, that's and
0: it, it, it answered my question because I, – I, I think it's so important. Whoever's listening, it's not like I just get in the water and go. What am I going to do today? Like I have a lot of method to my madness and a lot of routine, and I think that allows me the spontaneity in between it. You know, because yeah, yeah. I'll go off and I can say ah. Oh,
1: that's and that's great. why, I have and routine. that's why, and that's why you've been, however one defines the term, successful, at kind of creating the kind of content, the kind of life, and the way it's. Um, you know kind of organize and synchronize with how your your physiology you know yeah and and you know you're just you're just human and you're you're and you're successful and able to survive and live well and have a meaningful and purposeful life because of that
0: you know i was i was thinking of one of my clients said to ask you this and i know my answer but i want to hear yours they haven't worked out his name we'll call him johnny in two years and he wants to start working out. So as far as routine's concerned, does it matter the amount that he works out a day? Like how can he build that up? Because every other time he started out, he did it for three weeks, which I can tell you from owning health clubs, this is pretty normal. And then he doesn't do anything. What would you recommend?
1: No, I understand the, the fitness business, that new year's resolution, Everybody yeah. signs up, right? And then by the end of the year or the middle of the year, they they don't have a stickiness to it, right? A kind of a discipline
0: yeah, A lot, a lot. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, so uh, people, um, the the key point is to take one thing and only one thing and start it and complete it. It doesn't okay. matter if it's walking or treadmill. You know, I I had a, a, a actually an insurance salesman who had asked me about, this the book that he'd heard that i was writing about routine and how and this we see this in patients that have you know mental illness behavioral problems or are sick you know what do we do we put them into a routine we give them regularity we give them a timeliness it might not be the medicine they like to take you know or they might not be the rehab that they're doing on their trauma or their leg but this insurance salesman had told me how his life had become completely disrupted got divorced lost his uh lost custody of his child lost therefore his work and just had absolutely no ability to to have some form of regularity or routine and he he made the same kind of push about i gotta get some exercise my weight is going up i don't feel good i used to feel good doing it and what he did is he he went to the he went to uh the uh the gym and started on like trying to do a treadmill which is what he liked to do in a gym and he happened to be next to an older gentleman who he who befriended him and they talked and this person had this incredibly uh well-structured meaningful and purposeful life and became friends and that that routine and that mentor so to speak or that role model okay I mean, a realistic yeah. role model, a realistic role yeah, model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not the number one you know, athletic fitness person you know, that you're trying to emulate, right? But a realistic role model. He got into the routine, the exercise, he got into the regularity of it. He didn't want to miss it. You know, those endorphins came out. He did it at the right time in the morning. And he suddenly started to get more and more structure into his life, more and more routine to where he was able to, uh, then move forward, move forward with his life. Get a good job and changes, changes life. So, um, I think it's it's more about that that stickiness to it. And people often ask me about discipline and sticking yeah. is it, it's it's difficult, you know, um, at times. If if something that you do is not is aversive, it's painful, right? Or you dislike it. And what one needs to do is find something that's very uh, rewarding to do, that you let those kind of endorphins work out, but yeah, you just yeah. do it regularly. And if it doesn't work on the treadmill, just start with walking. If you have a problem with structure and you're able, people say, well, what's the one thing I could do? I said, well, just get a dog. Okay, they will give you structure, okay, <laughs> in your in, sure. in, in, in your in your life, and then of course many of us get so busy in our lives that then we get, we can't even walk our dogs, right? So we end up yeah. giving our dogs to the dog walkers or whatever, right? And okay. and this is interesting because that's one aspect of today's life: this constant pelting and pulling, in of, of you know this kind of multiple types of productivity that remove us from yeah. those regular rhythms and and also from. I speak to you know those regular rituals so, uh, that we used to have. You know, part of why religion was developed in a time where survival was not as easy as it was today. Not that it's easy today, but it's is, is is because it it brought stability uh, uh, to our lives and and it brought a sense of purpose and meaning. And that's another thing that uh, just like the ritual that's coming up. You know, now in in although it's a it's a weird year to do a New Year's resolution with kind of a little bit of a black hole out there knowing what's gonna happen. But um, these these type of aspects, rituals, more social related mm-hmm. issues are really are really important in the same I way agree. that they coordinate with our with our wiring, how we're wired in the world we live in. So yeah, that's that's uh, I I guess I guess just get started and if it's nothing if it's not working, change to something else and, and just and just keep doing yeah. it. You, yeah. you will you will find good. something. Yeah.
0: When you say they'll complete it, when you, what do you mean by complete? It doesn't it mean like keep doing it or just pick something, one thing you said and complete it. Like well, well, what I, what days? I meant to do
1: is, yeah, what I meant to do is do it, do it. And maybe I didn't use the right word, but you do it regularly, do it repeatedly. You know, if you're, if it's eight o'clock in the morning that you're going to go or seven in the morning that you have, you want to go, you, you go. You not walked go on a walk start on a short walk uh start on a short walk depending on your age and your your ability and the sort but do it every day
0: i i agree i tell people all the time it's not amount of, of time my big thing is i put it in my calendar let's say it's 3 30. and even if you can't get the 45 minutes or hour you're in your body loves routine. Do five minutes. I don't know if that's yes. a good thing, but I mean, none of this by no, the no, way. No, I, I scientific I, 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 think proof, but I yeah. just felt that way. Yeah, you
1: know? No, no. But I think that I think that's true, and there is some science behind that. And there I is think send I would, it yes, to me, yes, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And and what what I what and there is there is some interesting science which is more outcome science of people that do these things, how they affect are you know. But the, when I would use the word complete, it's just that completing that task, right? I walked, I wanted to walk 30, but I did walk five minutes today. You know, Um, put it in your calendar like it's an appointment. Yeah. That in itself gives you meaning and purpose, you know, in itself, completing um, a task gives you meaning and purpose. In the book, I, I, my friend Angel Martinez was the CEO of, is the CEO of Decker Corporation, you know, Ugg boots in the sort. He was a chairman Mm -hmm. and you know, I was questioning him about his routine. Of course, he 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 got into shoes by being a marathon runner, someone who came from Cuba trying to survive running regularly, okay? And he happened to just have a really good aerobic capacity and became a great cross-country runner and then got into shoes. But I was talking to him about, well, what about, where do you make these shoes? I think he told me it was Indonesia. And I said, well, he said, listen, we have people. We try to pay them well. There are people that are not well-educated. There's somebody putting these shoelaces on at the very end to complete the shoe before it gets boxed, right, and packaged. That person does that over and over and over again. They have a lot of pride in trying to do it well. And although for you, that might look like boring, okay, and something that you might not complete, for this person who's not educated, who's able to make a living, and then be able to have food, shelter, and enjoy his family, that repetition, that gives a meaning and purpose. And that was kind of, you know, highlighting to me about uh, when you start looking at the diversity of, yeah. of, of, you, of of us, of all of us, and how why we need to respect that diversity. Um, so, anyway.
0: No, my, my dad was a machinist, and he came home every day with a big smile on his face. And I used to say, Dad, you're putting the same thing in the same thing. And he goes, yeah. But do you know what that machine's gonna do? You know? And I'm like, Okay, dad. So
1: right, you know, it right. makes
0: sense, you know?
1: Right, right. You gotta find your own you gotta find your own machine. And you just have to do it regularly. So it, that's where you could exercise your own personal approach is in the content of those things that you do, you know, yeah, in life and I that, agree. that you do regularly. So
0: Well, Doc, you're helping with everything I say. You're giving a different flair to it and meaning. And like, there's actually scientific proof to a lot of this stuff. Because my big thing with people, even owning health clubs, was when they would say to me, what is the best workout? How can I lose weight? What should I do? What's the best exercise? And I always would say, the one you're going to do every day? That was my answer. I don't think there's one thing. There's so many ways.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you hit it empirically, Sandy you know just from doing it whether there was a scientific basis for it or how you know the connection of that you you saw that you saw that over and over again and i think that's why you came you came to that conclusion but you know there is a there is a general body physiology and and you know it's arguable what you can accomplish at three o'clock in exercise you know yeah and it's interesting yeah. how we're even changing some of that because when people are having these long work days what some of them are having to spread out and go and work out late in the evening, right? Like nine o'clock or 10 o'clock before they go to bed or something. So yeah. some of that stuff works and doesn't, and some of it doesn't really work with how, you know, how we're, how we're wired. But, you know, that's just one aspect of it. And in, in, in the book, The Art of Routine, uh, you know, what I try to do is tell, tell some stories, you know, uh, and, and, and back it up by some interesting, you know, Factoids, Um, but stories of people that have been in the worst of situations. You know, like my like my mother, like my friend Charlie Plum in Vietnam, in a five by five cell. And how did Mm. he even when they're? How did he gain hope? And he did that by developing a small routine, something that gave him a sense of hope and survival. So even in the, the worst situations, these are the same things. That uh, organizations like I work with, Direct Relief, do for people who have been displaced or in emergencies. You know, for those that are, uh, they they are organized and structured and are able to deliver emergency and emergency care for those people whose worlds have been completely disrupted. You know, and their environments you know, removed.
0: It's. I'm sitting. I didn't even think of it until now, but. When I was doing the research for my book, I started telling clients, okay, I'll give you free membership. I'll give you free training. I just want to interview as many people as possible that I thought, doc, exuded pure joy. Not because they were CEO or a mom or professional athlete. I wanted to interview hundreds of people and see what made them tick. So I did this, you know, for like over a year. And the one thing I told people was the secret sauce that they had in common is and now it makes sense with what you're saying every single person did something when they got up in the morning every single one of them that got their head into the game that they were able to get into that positive zone and show up for the world it didn't matter if it was five minutes or two hours it didn't matter if they baked muffins sang songs worked out meditate or joke that was their secret sauce and that's what i i built my book on but it was that whole thing of how can you get people to appreciate the importance of routine and for me i think it's really important how you start your day like when your feet hit those well
1: and absolutely because that that at that time your body is is in action it's ready your blood pressure is up you know if you have high blood pressure don't take it in the morning because it's usually always up and there are things happening in your in your in your body to to uh begin that day and it's interesting because i mean if you look into you know try to look scientifically into why is it we even sleep and and how do we protect ourselves at night because we're not we're not very good visually at night but other animals are right there's night predators of the sort you start to understand how important that beginning of the morning really is And if you take it kind of to the extreme, to our own personal, but our own our survival uh, as a species, and it was funny because I saw both the book and I saw Carl Reiner. You just reminded me where uh, you know Carl Reiner, the comedian, producer, director, director, you know, uh, wrote a book and he he, he said, "Well, what's the first thing you do?" He says, "The first thing I do, and I do it every day, is I read the obituaries. And if I'm not in it, (laughs) I start my day. You know." Yeah. But he did that every day. Right. Yeah. You know. Every so, day. So, and I I know that, that so some people they think this is uh, something that's that's boring, but there's enough room to have enough structure and regularity to give you enough meaning where you can find other things that are spontaneous, things that are curious. You know, and sure. and, I, and and in the book I speak you know to a number of things, particularly like in business where uh, one of one a, a good friend and a, and a very successful CEO and chairman. Uh, As you talk about meditation, his thing is that at three o'clock, you know, that time that we're all drinking coffee in the store, he might take a little coffee, but he turns off all the sensory um, input that's coming in. He closes the door quietly. It's not meditation. It's just simple, quiet pondering, wandering a little bit, letting the mind wander and maybe even ponder. Certain difficult uh, decisions yeah. that may be coming up without the input of everybody in, in your yeah. in your ear, and so that's another good prescriptive, I think, above and beyond affirmations or yeah things yeah. things like that. But so um, anyway, let's that's, you no, know, that's a little be... bit about the insight. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I so. love
0: it. I got we got to go to rapid fire, but it's a lot of the things I do. Like uh, it now makes sense why I do it. Like at three thirty every day, I go out for a hike or a mountain bike ride. That's what I do. No gadgets, no nothing to clear my head. And now it makes sense. This has been fun. I loved it so much. But we have to go to rapid fire. Just a few fun questions before you go. You ready?
1: Okay. Yeah, I'll try.
0: Oh, you'll be fun. All right. What's your favorite color?
1: Baby blue.
0: Baby blue. I like that. Okay. Favorite food?
1: Oh... My mother's potato pancakes. God bless her. She's she's passed away.
0: Oh, potato pancakes. <laughs> I haven't had those in years. Okay. What would one of your favorite days look like from morning till night?
1: Uh, what would you do? Make make my bed. Make the coffee for the make coffee for the family. Okay. Get to work. Get to work on the computer for very specific types of things and communications. Between ten and two o'clock, uh, engage engage with people. Possibly do two a day of of, uh, of some form of exercise if possible. Uh, at at uh, somewhere between ten and eleven in the morning.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, at three o'clock, take have some nourishment. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and not necessarily more caffeine. Okay. And uh, and take some real quiet some quiet time just uh, to to be able to ponder, and. Uh, now with this, with this time, of, time of year where it's a little bit earlier, uh, try to have a, a, a lighter and uh, earlier meal and then go for the incredible evening walk um, before uh, going back to bed.
0: Ooh, Okay, It sounds very fun and relaxing at the same time. All right, so what's one thing that you can tell us about yourself that most people may not know?
1: Wow, oh, that's a good one. Um,
0: <laughs> that you're willing to share, of course. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I, 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 but I'm, let's see. And maybe other people,
0: people know, but the masses don't know, you know. Uh,
1: yeah, and I'm not sure the masses know much about anything about me, actually. Uh, uh, you <laughs> know, so now. <laughs> yeah. Well, probably that, um, probably that I and my wife, Lisa, are involved in the most recent years in showing dogs oh show
0: dogs okay wow
1: having had the number one miniature schnauzer in the united states in 2018 2018 and
0: 19. is that true
1: yes that's true yeah yeah casey carmel Justin case was campaigned <laughs> and when uh, we were getting when our two schnauzers had died and uh we went to pick one up uh, as a pet. One jumped on my lap, and they said, "Well, I want that one too." And they said, "That's a show dog. You have to show them." And I got interested in uh, what that was about, and um, we decided that we would be willing to learn what that whole show world was about and why do people take these animals that they love, and why how they developed into why they even show these dogs and this. Mm-hmm incredible world of dogs and people and that funny movie, bested Show, uh, that mockumentary. And so um, I think, I don't think too many folks know because I'm behind the scenes on on the show dog world, but I've become interested enough to maybe yeah. even write a little something about it in the
0: future. So how many, how many dogs do you have right now?
1: Well, we have uh, two dogs, um, and, and actually now a, a third um, a female, Called Dora, which is a um, it, Dora is the it, it's been sired by Casey, our 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 champion dog. He's he's sired thirty dogs and three or four more champions, and um, and uh, so technically we have three three Schnauzers. She was just showing and developed and got was good enough to get her championship. So it's a new uh, a new champion for and then. Um, from one other uh, of his puppies, uh, they've had puppies, and so mm-hmm. we are now uh, have not only dogs, grand dogs, but great grand dogs.
0: Now that's fun. That's yeah. a great
1: so hobby. We're, so we're yeah, so we're having fun, and, and it's it, I am interested in why it is and how it is that we grew up with with these animals, who's uh, you know why we're a fil so affiliated to dogs and you know they were part of our survival in our lives you know and yeah. i know i go back yeah. to that theme a lot but hurting for us protecting for us you know and now they're morphing into what dogs are yeah. because they're not doing the same things they used to do so now they're bomb sniffing dogs and, and and rescue dogs you know and yeah. the sort so yeah. they're a very 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 important part of our our lives so
0: yeah i was gonna say what well, is one of your hobbies i guess that's a big hobby for you uh
1: yeah it it, it is and um uh, you know we've also uh, had been fortunate enough to being somewhat eclectic to also uh, grow grapes and make wine uh, we, ah. I was interested in interested more in the viticulture and why you do that although you think I'd be interested in the chemistry um, and uh, you know personally uh, spending a you know, a lot of time really on, on the philanthropic front, trying to help lead some organizations that uh, do charitable work around the world and in, in, in our community. So um, that that takes up a, a, a bit of time, and it's very very yes, um, yes. meaningful. I think
0: you're yeah, you're, you're busy. You're a busy person, but you got a lot of fun stuff in there too. Yeah. So wait, did you say you make your own wine?
1: We do. We we actually have had a brand called Flying Point vineyards, and it's kind of a small boutique brand and it's mostly for family friends but but it's turn- turned out good enough got a few awards uh when we people just wow. to let it out that we uh we uh, we uh you know have it out there for family and yeah. friends and the sort and and uh if you'd like if you send me your information i'll try to send you a bottle of wine for the new year
0: what kind what kind of wine do you have?
1: Well, these are mostly uh, uh, Cabernet. We have more Cabernet. Uh, Cabernet, uh, and uh, Okay, that's it. We're yeah, done.
0: Yeah. I, I love, I love, love red wine, and I love oh, Cabernet. Yeah. So. so these
1: uh, these wines were, you know, there was a thought behind them, too, when we made them and to try to produce a, a good wine like the uh, Joseph Phelps Insignia. And so we have a Malbec and a, uh, a Cab that we, we have. And the malbec Oof. comes from my Argentine roots because they said we couldn't grow yeah. it as well out here. So, yeah. anyway, that's uh, we that's been also, uh, uh, you know, a kind of a a fun venture and and learning yeah. about that and uh, and also uh, you know both my wife and I are pilots, so we we both uh, enjoy <laughs> well, just enjoy flying. you that playing. in in
0: there? Yeah, yeah. pilot. I, for,
1: I forgot about that, and maybe others might have not known that. But yeah, we that was. Uh, it it was really effective when i was in business to be able uh, to learn to fly and get to places regionally so wow. um and she said you're not leaving me behind i always wanted to learn how to fly so she became a <laughs> pilot so oh, no. so it, it is more of a, a hobby than a business uh, thing now and kind of a, a a fun part and and again you know if somebody's technical wants to have a good routine boy i recommend trying to learn to fly because it's a oh. it's it's really a um you feel very accomplished when you when yeah. you learn when you learn that. Yeah.
0: So do you have your own little plane?
1: We do. We do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I have friends that do that, and they just go, "Yeah, I'm going to Nantucket. See ya." Do you do that? It, it,
1: exactly. Exactly. Just- exactly. Yeah. So we uh, we uh, right now we have a smaller two person plane. It's called a sports plane. And what we'll do is we will. Um, Go to from where we live, the Santa Barbara area, and we'll fly about forty-five minutes in the Ugh. plane, just the two of us, to Carmel and Monterey, uh, and we'll go there and fly there, and then they'll give us a little car at the FBO, and we'll drive around, and go have lunch, and go into the Carmel village, and then fly back home. And that's yes. a, a, a classic uh, way that you can overcome, uh, overcome. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and 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 you got to be and you are and you're car- and you're careful about that. So I mean. We're blessed and fortunate that we we have the ability to that
0: is and that, awesome. the financial
1: means to do some of those kind of things. But yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it's it's a very uh, it's a very interesting. That's another very interesting world, and it does bring some a very different uh, aspect to your life. And particularly, like if you were a farmer, but but as a pilot, weather. I was never that focused on weather until uh, you know I learned to fly. So mm-hmm. that I, I really recommended for those people that can can do it and might have the time to be able to do yeah. it which is which it takes time so
0: that's a whole nother podcast all right so <laughs> that's fascinating i got i had a lot of questions for that too but we got to move on so for the last year i call them sticky wickens what has been the toughest thing for you in the last year
1: um the most would you say the most uh Difficult kind of personal thing, or? Yeah. or difficult, or, whatever, uh,
0: personal, whatever you want to say.
1: Um. Well, I'll tell you what's what's been most difficult for me. I mean, I, I don't know if it's difficult, but in some way it's, you know, this this pandemic has brought some collateral damage to people, mm-hmm. but it's also some collateral value. And the most difficult thing for me was learning how to basically make our own meals in the home all the time again. Oh.
0: There
1: you yeah. go, yeah, and that it ends up being a, a good, uh, like I call it, a collateral value, yeah. not just collateral yeah. Yeah. Collateral, collateral damage. Um, and I think secondarily, maybe um, the intimacy that you get from being around people, particularly the people that I I work with, whether it's in the book or uh, the nonprofit sector that I work with, it's um, the the Zoom calls and the Skype calls and the Microsoft team calls and the Google calls, um, cannot, um, the technology cannot overcome, um, that human, that human factor. And I think that this is very much more difficult for people than they think, although it's led us to stay connected. and. and I've learned a bit of that as I—I I also am involved in business and help chair a, a company yeah. that's uh, that's a artificial intelligence company called Potential Analytics in healthcare. And and you learn how uh, how difficult uh, that that is. And although we think technology has saved us a bit, and it may in certain areas, uh, I, I have a, an article in the Forbes. I think on the I was interviewed on artificial intelligence and how will artificial intelligence teach us how what it will be our best routines because they can monitor mm-hmm. us, you know? So I, I think though there's, a, there's, uh, there's an aspect of being human that um, we're not going to be, be able to do via Zoom calls and without uh, touching each other or being near each other. Um, and I think that's, that's, I think, been difficult for me as yeah. well as uh, for many people.
0: I agree. Okay, what has been the highlight, one highlight for you personally?
1: one highlight i think uh i'd have to say after working on it for a bit is getting a number of interested publishers and then Skyhorse publishing uh picking up the book that That is a
0: highlight i like that Yeah. yeah that is a highlight i can't wait for it to come out in may all right doc if i say the word universe what does universe mean to you
1: Well, interestingly, I can never think of it other than uh, what I call infinity plus one. Oh. Because I can't think about the universe because the way our brains are set up, when you try to think about the universe, <laughs> you, you can never think where it ends, right? Uh, so yeah. where, does it, where does it end? Kind of in a more astron, uh, astronomical yeah. concept or a physical I concept. Like that. So it's infinity plus one.
0: I like that. Well, this has been a pleasure. We had so much fun is there anything we didn't get in that you want to get in doc or let us know how we can reach you
1: yeah surely and uh, and uh thank you well we're we're hoping that that uh, this inside in the art of routine will uh will be somewhat insightful and maybe helpful for others and, and uh uh and hopefully there'll be more to follow maybe more prescriptive aspects in, in business or longevity or high performance that we'll be able to to work through that but uh there is, there is a website, com and, uh, either Simon Schuster or Skyhorse Publishing, uh, mm-hmm. uh, as a connector. And also the book is available for pre-order at, uh, at, uh, Amazon and, um, uh, uh, Barnes and Noble and a couple of those kind of sites if, if one's interested in that. And, uh, uh, I hope that it makes someone uh, somewhat of an impact and through those, uh, through that. And, uh, those links, you can uh, you can you know connect with me personally. I'm I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Instagram, the sort. Of. So. Awesome.
0: All right, my let's keep it real, people. I know you're gonna love this. I know, I know, I know it. It's gonna be so much fun for you to listen to. So spread the word, share it, like it, tell your friends. It's perfect for the new year. And until next time, toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show, and remember, keep spreading the positive. Well, hello there, and thanks for listening. I'm so excited to offer some amazing new content and discounts on my Patreon. That's right, new to Patreon. And starting as little as $3 a month, you can access exclusive podcast episodes, one-on-one calls, and major discounts on my six-week reset program. Visit patreon.com slash Sandy J. Weston to get started.